Our text is Revelation chapter 9, Revelation chapter 9, and you might want to put that ribbon that you put in Mark this morning, move it over to Ezekiel chapter 28, okay, because uh, I'll be going to there in uh, a little bit, but uh, we, we want to look here at our text. Most of these sermons have just been building up to our text uh, about the torments of hell. And so we want to uh, uh, look at this today. So Revelation uh, chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2. I'll read those first two verses. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the pit. Well, let's pray. Father, we do want to rightly divide your word, and Father, I pray thy Holy Spirit would just really take it home to each heart, because I can't do that, only you can. And Lord, whatever happens with that is between you and each believer. But help me to rightly divide your word and to speak the truth as it is to men as they are. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, as I've said, we've been looking at some of the torments of the people who die and are in hell that, that are there now and are suffering. Uh, anybody who dies without Christ right now goes to this place called hell. We told you that there were four compartments. Well, now hell only has three compartments. Before, there was Abraham's bosom or paradise. But when Jesus rose up from the dead, he led captivity captive, Ephesians tells us. And so now, when a soul dies in the Lord, they go straight up there to what is called paradise or the third heaven, as in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He calls it both the third heaven and paradise. But I believe the great gulf is still there. I believe that Hades, where those souls that died without Christ are there, and Tartarus, where those evil angels that fell, some were chained. I don't know why all of them weren't, but some of them were chained. And in that place called Tartarus, which in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, you see the word hell, but it's that Greek word that describes the place where they are. Now, so we have Abraham's bosom now in heaven, and that is completely out of the picture for those that are in hell today. They can't look across the great gulf and see those people there. So having looked at other parts of the Bible and seeing the torments that are presently taking place in that place called hell today, uh, we go to the lake of fire and we see now as that'll come in eternity. We spoke this morning of one of the sufferings there of the worms, as it was used in Mark chapter 8. We know it's uh, continual. It's throughout all eternity. Death and hell, Revelation 20, 14 and 15 says, is cast to the lake of fire. So all the parts of hell, all the torments of hell, everything of that is cast into the eternal lake of fire, and it continues throughout all eternity. People do not cease to exist in eternity in hell, in that lake of fire. They'll still fill it from then on. All those spirits that died without Jesus Christ. Now, in our text, 
looking here at these first two verses, and really I'm probably just going to look at verse 1 this evening, but this is a trumpet judgment in our text. In Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, it starts the seven trumpets of the trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation. Revelation, you'll see series of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, and it's a number of, of a complete action where the Lord does what is fully needed in that situation for pouring out His judgment during the tribulation hour. And so this is going to be the uh, looking at the trumpets in chapter 9, but we've already seen the first four in chapter 8. They're, they're there. Now, in our text, there's a star, there's a key, there's a bottomless pit. The star represents an angel. In the Bible, stars are at times used to symbolize angels. I believe that this angel here is a good angel. As he falls from heaven, we'll say more about that as time goes on. And so I believe it's a good angel. It's, it's interesting to me, in Job chapter 38, uh, and, and God is speaking to Job. Job has been there now since chapter 3 through chapter 37 with his three miserable comforters. They're supposed to be his friends. Man, they are telling him what a sinner he is and how bad he is, that God is punishing him. And, and basically... It, just to narrow it down, uh, Job was saying, for what? <laughs> well, what is it? Well, you've got to have done something wrong. We may not know what it is, but you've done something wrong. And they're telling him what a bad guy he is throughout the whole thing, and he's defending himself. And it gets to a point where it almost sounds like he's saying, God shouldn't be doing this to me. But in reality, he never loses faith in God. He says, I know whom I have believed. And he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. In Job chapter 19, he says, uh, after the skin worms destroy this body, I know, and that's a certainty, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Wow. You know, if you're saved, you have that same promise. Even if you've been in the grave for a hundred years, in my flesh, that body is resurrected, a new body fashioned like unto his glorious body, and I shall see him. I shall see God. So we have that great promise. But there are these men here telling Job of what a sinner he is, and it's the reason that God is punishing him. Their words do nothing, but God says in chapter 38, darken counsel. It's accusatory with no proof. It's false, but very accusatory. You realize Revelation 12 says that Satan accuses us before the throne day and night. If you're saved, Satan is constantly accusing you before God. And I believe many of the things he accuses us of are true. But we have a Savior that says, yes, that may be true, but my blood was shed to pay the penalty for all of that. And that takes care of We have a great counselor in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So 
God intervenes finally in chapter 38 of Job and says, uh, who is this that darkeneth counsel? Boy, these guys are talking to him like, we know, we're, we, we've got it. We are the guys. And, and they let him know, who is this that darkeneth counsel? And God wants Job to see that his counsel is the counsel he needs. I've heard over the years, I've heard it many times, you need to seek a professional counselor. Well, we've got one, according to Isaiah. He is called the counselor. If you just listen and do his counsel, you don't need anything else of man. Whether he's a religious counselor or a secular counselor or whatever else, we've got the word of God. And that's our counsel. And we lean on it. So, as he starts talking to Job, he says, who are these that darkens counsel? And then he says, Job, you act like you're on the same level as I am. And he doesn't say it in those words, but he says the way he's saying it kind of indicates that. And so he finally says uh, to Job, where was thou when I created it all? Do you realize that when he created it all, Everything was absolutely holy. Everything. When he created the angels, when he created the heavens and the earth, everything was absolutely holy. And so uh, he's talking about, and in Job chapter 38, verse 7, he says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted out for joy. Do you realize the morning stars he's speaking about? is really referring to angels. They're singing together. Now, in heaven, before the fall of Satan, he's in charge of both the music and even the jewelry of heaven. We read in Ezekiel chapter 28 that I told you to go to, verses 12 through 15, and I want you to hear these verses, and I'm going to go through them slowly, but uh, we're going to go through them. He says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God. Now, the name Tyrus means rock, strength, sharp. And whereas there was a king of Tyrus in that day, now it is being applied to Satan in this particular passage. In the Bibles, names have a purpose. They reflect character. Tyrus, back in the day, was named the name of an island. It was right off the southern coast of Lebanon, and uh, there at the Mediterranean coast. A rock is something that is impregnable and unmovable, something like a Gibraltar in the way it's used here. And so Satan, because of his position as an angel, is called this Gibraltar. But we know in the Bible, Tyrus fell, and so does Satan fall. When you think of the names, for example, Jesus, uh, God said to Joseph, when Jesus would be born, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And Jesus means Jehovah saves. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 21, verse 23, 
His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This was God come in flesh. God is the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. But in this situation, this Spirit, God the Son, takes on human flesh that he might be the penalty, uh, pay the penalty for our sin. And so, again, I say names are very important in the Bible. Now, I don't think that we place as much importance to those names today as they did back then. For example, my last name's Bloom. I, <laughs> I don't like being associated with a flower, but uh, Bloom. But John Andrew, we have... Names in the Bible, John and Andrew. I was named John Andrew Bloom after the uncle that uh, really tried to lead my, Lord, uh, my dad to the Lord. And dad said it was very instrumental. He had pretty well planted the seed. He was always working on them. But John, it means loved of God. I know I'm loved of God. Andrew means manly. Don't mess with me. Okay, now... Okay, John Andrew Bloom, I think he called me Andy simply because, nah, he's not manly, okay? But nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, names meant something in the Scriptures. And usually a study of the names will show you something about the character of the person that is there. And so we, we see that uh, in our text now, thou, here in uh, Ezekiel, thou... Uh, Sealest up the sum, uh, the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That describes Satan. Wisdom, beauty. Full of wisdom, meaning more than the other angels. And because of this power and the position that he was given, that's why in Jude chapter 1 and, and verse 9, Michael's contending with him and it says, Yet Michael, the archangel, I mean, he's an archangel, Michael, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Because even though that Satan has fallen badly, he still outranks. Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 said the Pharisees, the scribes, all these guys that were so bad, he says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they sat in Moses' seat. So they were places of authority, and you still respect authority. That's why when you have a president of the United States, whether you like him or you hate him, I mean, uh, I've heard uh, everything about every president that's been good and bad, depending on who you're talking to. But one of the things to teach your children, no matter who that president is, you respect them. They have a position, and you pray for that person. Now, having said that, uh, we see that here is Satan, he exceeds in beauty all the angels and in wisdom. He's, he's number one. His position is great among the angels. And in verse 13, he says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. It is believed that even before Adam and Eve was created, that 
he might have, when he created the world, the heavenly earth, there was a garden there, and that Satan was actually there. Uh, we'll know that when we get to heaven for sure. Men like to say that with certainty, but we don't really know that for certain. But he's in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Now, notice that all this beautiful jewelry is associated with Satan. He was in charge of the jewelry of heaven. They were even his covering. You might say that he was covered in jewelry. There's nothing wrong with gold, or the Lord wouldn't make the new heavens and new earth when we see the new Jerusalem with streets of gold. So pure, as, that, as it were, transparent glass. And so, but they were his covering at that time. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day thou was created. Tablets and pipes speak of music. He was in charge of heaven's music. That's why the sons of God, when the morning stars sang together before the fall of Satan, before the fall of man, angels sang. But after the fall, the sons of Cain in Genesis chapter 4, you'll see begin to work. They're working also in jewelry and music. I believe that this is why at the birth of Christ, I get people that give me the dirty looks when I say this sometimes. The Bible does not say the angels sang that met the, the shepherds there. It said they join in saying. They don't sing. As a matter of fact, uh, it's interesting that in heaven, in Revelation, when we're out there singing praises to God, we find out that the angels join in saying. Now read it for yourself. They join in saying. They don't sing. It's interesting that when we see the appearance of good angels in the Bible after the fall, we never read of them singing, nor do we read of them having on jewelry. You wonder why is that? They believed in separation, and they did not want to be identified in any way with the devil. Just like a Christian should not want to be identified with the old life of sin. You see, and so there's an example for us even way back then. So again, today we hear of Tinseltown. We say Las Vegas. We say Hollywood. Boy, that's really pure and holy, isn't it? Oh, we think of the most evils of sin, of degradation. And they're called Tinseltown. The corruption of music. And isn't it interesting that it seems to always work its way into the religions? Now, you will hear a lot of us preachers talk about the contemporary movement. It's sin. Now, I know people get mad when you say, it's a sin. It is a sin. No apologies coming for that either. 
It is a sin. But you know, in the old time religions, way back there, I mean, I'm talking about 3,000 years ago, and this may seem like a brand new thing to some people, they would have their drums beating. It would be a beat-driven music for this purpose. They could work the people up into a frenzy and offer their babies on a fiery idol to their false gods. And Satan knew that with the music he corrupted, he could do that with them. As a matter of fact, if you study back over the history of that, and you won't find it in the Bible, it goes back in, in many of your uh, various uh, textbooks of Jewish history, that when the Jews first started to have music back in that time, they wanted to be sure that the music in no way emulated the world. I did a sermon on that way back in the 90s. And maybe I need to do it again. But nonetheless, that is uh, a truth. Satan corrupts anything he can get his hands on. He will corrupt. That's what he does. And so, we see that Satan, he does all he can to corrupt everything. Abortion's not new. It's just that they waited until they was born, just like the, up in Virginia, that governor says, oh, even if they're born and the mother doesn't want them, go ahead and uh, abort them, which means kill them. And that's what they did back then. And so that's not a new thing. It's an old thing. It's still as evil today as it was back then. Okay. It says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I, that is God, have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He was the anointed cherub that covered. What does that mean? Well, there's the holy of holies in heaven. Satan himself was the covering cherub. He covered that. Satan's power was such that when he fell, it took two angels to replace him. That's why you read that when uh, God speaks to Moses and gives him a thing of the tabernacle. He says to build it according to what he had showed him on the mount. And he was showing him, I believe, the tabernacle of heaven. And how two angels were there, and that's the way they would make this thing when they would make it. And so we see that going on in that time. But it took two angels to take his place. He goes on in verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Satan probably fell before the creation of man. I don't know that for sure. He might have failed when man was created and out of jealousy he, because man had this position where he was made in God's image, that he didn't like it. I don't know that. I really don't know that. I just know that he worked against it. When he fell, according to Revelation chapter uh, 12, one-third of the angels fell with him. Those stars fell together with him. He was second only to the Trinity. Until then, he was second only. And verse 16 says, By the multitude of thy merchandise, 
They have filled the midst of thee with violence. See all that violence going on in America today? Where do you think that comes from? We can say, well, uh, Antifa, we can say uh, China, we can say all these other things. No, it comes from the devil. He works through people. And so, you see all of that. He says, in the multitude of thy merchandise, they have failed in the midst of thee. In other words, uh, when he says there, they failed in the midst of thee, filled thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. After Satan's fall, you no longer see the angels singing. They do not appear with jewelry. But it seems like they are dressed in white. Glowing, shining. You say, that's because the color is white? No, it's reflecting the glory of God. Because those that turn many to righteousness shall shine as stars forever. What is turning others to righteousness? Well, with the heart man believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. When we turn people to Jesus Christ, we are turning them into righteousness because it's the, through the righteousness of Christ, anyone is accepted in the beloved, that we're accepted before God, is through Christ. So we're accepted that way. So, You'll notice the multitude of merchandise and violence. He is cast out of the mountain of God, and he'll be eventually, not right now, but he'll be eventually cast into the eternal lake of fire. You say, well, why do you say that with all those angels that fell with him? Why would you say that? Because you need to know who your company is going to be throughout all eternity if you're not saved. That's part of your company there. But they won't be tormenting. It'll be so bad it torments them. So he says in verse 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Oh, he was a bright, shining angel. I will cast thee to the ground. I will slay thee before the kings that they may behold thee. Isn't it interesting? In Revelation chapter 13, talking about the world leader, the beast, he gets them to worship the dragon, who is the devil. By him we were able to get this. All these kings were able to get it by the devil. Now what power they had by the devil is destroyed, and they will behold him. We put out on the tables out there, when they come in, the booklet Days of Praise, uh, the Institute of Creation Research puts those out. As a matter of fact, I just saw back there a box came in while I was out, so they'll be out there again Wednesday night. But um, uh, it's interesting to me that he had in today's uh, Days of Praise, I didn't have this originally in this sermon, but I saw it and I said, man, it goes right with the sermon. God knew what he was doing, didn't he? And so I just want to read it to you. He uses Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
These are two of the eye wheels of Satan, or Lucifer, as he aspired to usurp the throne of God as the ruler of the universe. Isaiah 14, 14 and 12 through 15, as well as Ezekiel 28, verse 11 through 17 that we've been looking at. Not content to be the anointed cherub, the highest of the angelic hierarchy, Ezekiel 28, 14, he wanted to be God. And this monstrous pride became the condemnation of the devil, 1 Timothy 3, 6. So that he is now fallen from heaven and will soon be brought down to hell, Isaiah 14, 12. Lucifer, of course, is not the creator. He was created, Ezekiel 28, 15, in the day thou was created, we read. Yes, he was created himself. It would seem, therefore, for him to rationalize his ambition to be the most high, he must somehow persuade himself that he is like the most high, that is, that God is a created being like himself and thus can be defeated. He only had God's word that he had been created by him. And he evidently chose not to believe what God said, just as multitudes of men and women do today, especially about hell and their need to repentance, by the way. He, like they, chose rather to believe that the eternal cosmos had somehow created them, created them all by its own powers. The great cosmos, they call it Mother Nature, perhaps, has created the spirit beings as well as men and women and all the worlds inhabited by them. In this scenario, the true creator God is viewed as only one of many. Therefore, he is vulnerable to defeat, or so Satan evidently believes. Thus, Lucifer became the first evolutionist. Isn't it interesting how God, I'm going to stop there for a moment, tries to bring men up. Evolution brings them down. A lot of people don't know this, but when Darwin actually uh, came up with the theory of evolution, it was one of the most racist documents that there could be. He viewed all black people as less. He looked at Africa. He said, these people are less. They haven't developed like we have. The abortionists. Planned Parenthood. That's the same way. Let's get rid of the black race. That's why you see so many abortion clinics in the black neighborhoods. But oh, so many of the black preachers have blessed my heart. Because God didn't say that's what the way they are. That's the way Satan says they are. See, that comes from the devil. That comes from the devil. So this great lie, he deceived himself, became the basis uh, of this later deception of Eve. Remember, thou will be like God. And then the founders of all the varied pantheistic religions of the world, as well as the modern evolutionism and the New Age philosophies. Nevertheless, God is still on his throne, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Oh, that's a great... Uh, devotional that was in that booklet today and just fell right in with this. Well, there are those kings that died in their sin and then there are the fallen angels. 
You and I have a battle going on today. It's a spiritual battle whether we are aware of it or not. Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People may say bad things about us. We may, they may hate us. They may say all kinds of things against us and try to bring us down, but they're not our enemies. It's the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You say, well, what are those things? Well, principalities, they seem to work in government, in, in affecting government. Uh, for an example, in Daniel chapter 10, when Michael was sent to Daniel, he was held up by the way, or the angel was sent to him, and Michael had to come help that angel. He sent to him to answer his prayer. Daniel fasted for 21 days before he heard. But there was a principality, an evil one, that tried to hold that up, and he had to do that battle. Principalities, uh, there was a principality of Babylon, there's a principality of the various ones. That one is the Persia. As they were trying to do these things. And so those principalities are very active today. They're trying to do these things. And then there's the powers. The powers seem to work against Christians that are saved, but there are things in our lives that the sins they hit us with. They're not going to tempt us to be drug addicts, to go out and kill people, to uh, be drunkards, to be immoral, although that can happen to Christians. It mainly seems to be things like gossip. Unfaithful to God's house, unfaithful to serve the Lord, not seeking Him, not walking with Him. And just so many things that we get into that you might say people call them the sins of respectable people. But no, sin is never respectable. So that is the powers, principalities, powers, then the rulers of the darkness of this world. I don't have to go into detail to talk about things as pornography and all that. We said Las Vegas, you'd have all kinds of filthy thoughts in Hollywood. And we can think of all the filthiness. And that seems to be the idea of, of those that are the rulers of the darkness of this world that seek to bring that in. Why has TV got the way it is? Why is this country in an upheaval, but not just this country around the world? The rulers of the darkness of this world. And then spiritual wickedness in high places. I believe that this is really working. And this is my belief, okay? But the spiritual wickedness in high places, I think that there's the battle that goes on in the heavens, but it's trying to really attack the local church, keep people from coming to Christ, that spiritual wickedness that will need to be defeated, and it will be. And so that goes on, and that's what so often discourages us. Christians say, I give up, I'm not going back to church. You've heard people do that. I'm not going to do this. I believe spiritual wickedness in high places happens. Now, I know others will have different ideas about it. That's all right, but we know that that's where our battle is. And so, because of all of that, 
these spirits. And by the way, principalities, powers, rulers, the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places are devils that are assigned to those things. It's like an army. You've got your generals, you've got your soldiers, you've got the other ones that are serving in that army. And that's the way he's talking about it. He's, he's talking in military terms here. When he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's, the the ter terminology is military in nature. We are in a spiritual warfare. That's why when we preach on the torments of hell, that'll be battled all the way. Because they don't want men to repent they know that when people die in their sin and go to hell, it's not that they rejoice, they'll have them for company. They know that it hurts the heart of God who died for them. But they will be in their place. They'll be in their place. And so we have a responsibility, even though we have these these enemies. It's called the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you teach them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded you, but you also, what, teaching them the way of salvation, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey. You see, that's the only way of salvation. That's through Jesus Christ. Teaching them to obey whatsoever he commanded us. The word of God. The question we must ask ourselves, I must ask myself. Am I observing to do what he has told me to do in the spiritual warfare? I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ where Christians appear, I believe that some will find out they were called to the mission field. Some will called out, find they were called out to do different things. Some were called to do things in church, and some were to sing in the choir. They have ability to sing, but they won't sing in the choir. They have ability to play an instrument. They won't try to say, hey, can I use my instrument for the Lord? They, they've got uh, abilities to sell things in this world, but they'll never go out and try to witness to a lost soul. On and on we could go of the abilities and the talents that people have, and they're not used for the Lord. They only use it for what will gain them money. And I believe that people are going to find out when they get to the judgment seat of Christ, when they count the loss, what God had intended, but they never sought the Lord with their heart to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this local church? Look, this church has many ministries. We've got radio. We've got OCA. We've got bus ministry. Uh, we've got music and Sunday school and so many ministries. You know, not one of those ministries are exalted above the other ministries. It's a local church for one. Just imagine somebody is a teacher and says, oh, man, I love teaching, but, you know, I don't have to be at church on time. I can sit at home. <laughs> I can remember seeing teachers sit at home years ago, and invariably students would say, they don't come to church. They get there late. That teacher had a poor testimony to talk about to the kids about spiritual things when they knew what they were. No. Ruined the testimony that said that person's a hypocrite. 
That can happen in the bus ministry. That can happen in teaching Sunday school. I was, I was <clears throat> in high school, I buy groceries. And I'm glad my dad helped me with this, but I bagged groceries for a Winn-Dixie back then. It was called Quick Check then, but I was bagging groceries. And I can remember a lady from the church had come through, and I wasn't in that line. I knew she taught Sunday school, and there's a big bottle of wine that went in her bag. I was shocked. As a teenager, I was shocked. In my mind, I said, that gal's a hypocrite. My dad needs to know. I told dad, I said, dad, she got a bottle of wine. I didn't know they drank, and she's teaching Sunday school. He said, son, was it cooking sherry? I said, I don't know. He says, well, don't make an accusation unless you know. Now, I still don't think she should have bought it. Just the testimony it was to me. But my thoughts were, she's buying it to use it to drink. She may have been using it to cook. I don't even know if it was cooking sherry. But whatever it was, it said the wrong thing to me as a Christian, a kid, bagging groceries. Realize people see you. You don't have to be the preacher for people to see you. People see you. What is my testimony? And so I want to close it out this way. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, these super spirits of the devil had filled a man. There was a legion of them. And in Matthew 8, 28 29, and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two dressed, uh, possessed with devils, coming out of tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Before the time? You see, the devils believe very strongly in hell. They don't want to go there. But they had the greater light. They actually saw God, and they fell anyway. But for us, we know God. That's why I said some things, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, school teacher, whatever. Don't justify unfaithfulness. Don't justify well, that's all right. You know, years ago we had some people that taught Sunday school, but they didn't come back on Sunday night or they didn't come back on Wednesday night unless they were doing something. And I remember telling Dad, Dad, we can't have those people doing that. Why not? Because they're not here on Sunday night. They're not here on Wednesday night. They're only here when they're performing. They're only here when they're doing this. He said, I agree. So I don't know what he, who he talked to, but I know that thing straightened out pretty quickly. If you knew him, you knew that uh, he didn't let anything lay for a while. But let's not be 
so rock hard as Tyrus, so cold that we lack a care for the souls of men. And yet we say we love God. Be faithful. Be serving. And seek to rescue the perishing. Because obviously, duty demands it.